well, this is it. (laughs) So I need you to focus here and not on the cake in the courtyard after the service. Can we make that deal? It's coming soon. Maybe not as soon as you'd like, but it's on the way. I will tell you that when I started this series on Deuteronomy over four years ago, here was my intention that I was going to preach about 28 sermons, right? That's about six months. But almost four and a half years later, I just have to tell you that this preacher, me, I have discovered in ways that I never realized before the depth and the riches of the word of the living God. It's amazing. This word Deuteronomy was written in time and space to specific people with specific call and and challenges in their lives. But, But it's so much more than that time and for them. That's why God has superintended his word through the centuries and through the millennia. Because God's word is rich beyond the moment. And this word, Deuteronomy has vital connections for the future. And this word in Deuteronomy was just a shadow of the coming reality. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the fulfillment of this word and all of God's promises. And so I say this morning, without apology, it was easy, easy for me to find more in this word than that which was preached by Moses. Jesus fills up this word in ways that the people gathered on the plains of Moab could never have imagined. So before I even get to the sermon this morning, I would ask you to celebrate with me the richness and the fullness of the word of God. To marvel at its depths, the beauty that comes out when we will sit for a while even four years, and ponder the word of God and its richness in Jesus. Now I want to read for you what I said to you on September 14th of 2013, the Sunday I started this series. I said, this, the truth of this book, particularly as we read it in light of the person and work of Christ, will enter every part of our lives. It will examine our lives and challenge us to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church, how are we living in the land? How deep and real is my faith, my trust? How authentic is my worship? How evident is my faith to others? What are we doing to be a blessing to the community that surrounds us? Not only when we gather here for worship, but when we scatter throughout Charleston and meet in community groups, we will be challenged and must be changed by those questions and their answers and all the others we will encounter as we study this book together. So I think you'll attest the fact that all of these areas we covered, subjects of faith and trust and authenticity in faith and worship and evangelism and living out our faith and so much more. And so the question we ask now is, how are we changed? How are you changed? How are you different because of the truth of God's word? What have you asked the Lord to do in you and through you through the study of this book? 
It's time for evaluation. And this morning, one more opportunity before me to present God's truth to us. Truth that will change us from this oft-quoted book of Jesus. There's more I could have said, I'm just saying. But the party was scheduled for today, and so (laughs) today is it. But this morning, just three simple charges. Three simple charges from these last verses in the book of Deuteronomy. That if we embrace these charges, we will make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. So if you have your Bibles open, I'll say this for the last time. If you'll turn to the book of Deuteronomy... The 34th chapter, and when you found your place, let's stand so we might hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning with verse 8, this is the word of the Lord. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there was not, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do. In the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you now to add your blessing to this reading and hearing of your word. Be true to your promise, Lord, to bless us as we come to your word. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to feel your truth and to be changed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first charge... I have for you and for me this morning is a very simple one. And the charge is this. Be joyful. Be joyful. Look at verse 9. And, and, and let's, let's take verse 9 out for just a moment. And read verses 8 and 10 together. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, when I put this extraordinary description of Moses side by side with the 30 days of weeping and mourning, it doesn't seem exactly right to me. Because the weeping in the morning doesn't seem extraordinary for this extraordinary man. In fact, it was very ordinary. It's what the people did for Moses' brother Aaron, who was a great man, but he was no Moses. When he died, they wept for him for 30 days. This was the practice of the people. But it didn't seem right to me that 
The weeping in the morning for a man like Moses would be just the same, that it would not be any different from anyone else who died. But then I ask myself the question, what more could the people have done? What would 60 days of weeping accomplish? Or, or 90 more days of mourning? Weeping and mourning, it's good. And it's proper. And it's helpful. And it's cathartic. But mourning must come to an end. Because you and I, we're not made for mourning. We mourn and we move on. God does not want us living as mourners. He doesn't want us to live in this place as those who mourn. The Lord has made us for something better. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 30. You, Lord, have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Great verse, right? David acknowledges that he mourned because he did mourn. And David doesn't apologize for mourning. It was a reality to him. Circumstances called for his mourning. But look what God did. He transformed the mourning. He got in the middle of the morning and he changed it into something totally other than mourning. And what did he turn it into? Joyful dancing. Is that not amazing? The Lord turned David's mourning into joyful dancing so that David might praise the Lord. And thank the Lord. For all that he had done. See, we are not made to live in mourning. And so the Lord transforms it. Isaiah 61. This passage that you know so very, very well. Always worthy to be read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus uses these verses From Isaiah 61 is the text for his very first sermon. Jesus identifies himself as the anointed one, the preacher, the proclaimer that is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so powerfully was the Spirit of God upon Jesus that people were astonished at his teaching. And so powerful was the Spirit of God upon Jesus that people said, no one ever spoke like this man. And yet, amazement isn't the goal of empowered preaching. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Change is. What change? An exchange. Mourning is replaced with dancing. Bondage is replaced with freedom. The old creation is replaced by a new creation. See, we can't mourn. When we have Jesus, with Jesus, mourning becomes joy. With Jesus, ashes become a crown. 
with Jesus, despair becomes a garment of praise. What is it that you mourn? Certainly, we mourn for people that we love who have died or some tragedy has befallen them. But we mourn for other things too. We mourn for relationships. We mourn because we're full of regret. We mourn for events. I think a lot of us mourn for our country. You know, we, we perceive an ever-accelerating slide into godless behavior and unbelief. But we are not called to perpetually mourn it. We're called to change it with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I was mourning on Friday. I really was. And the person that was with me knows I was mourning. You know what? I was mourning for my Anglican brothers and sisters here in Charleston who love the gospel and who faithfully preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you followed in the paper, but the, the court decision has come down. And unless the Lord intervenes, these faithful, gospel-loving people are going to lose their beautiful houses of worship. And I'm mourning because all of those places around this city, places of light where the gospel is proclaimed, will be no more. And I mourn the fact that those buildings and their assets are going to be in the hands of a denomination that in so many places, in so many ways, has departed from the faith and the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so I mourn because I say, Lord, this is not right. But then I remembered the Spirit of the Lord, the power of the Lord to turn mourning into dancing. And I remembered the Red Sea. And there it was. In front of the people. Seemingly impassable. And the Egyptian army fast approaching. And the people mourned. And they lamented. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt, Moses? That you have brought us here in the wilderness to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. (laughs) And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So why keep mourning? Whatever it is that we mourn, we have the salvation of the Lord. We have Jesus. Then I remembered 2 Chronicles 15. Listen. Listen. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Why should we keep On mourning whatever it is we mourn. Why mourn when we have the power of God who fights for us? Why mourn? We have a God who delivers us. And the name of God's deliverer is Jesus Christ. Is that good news? And so it's easy then 
to charge you this morning to be joyful. It's how we'll make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. What kind of attitude and testimony is it from those who know the Lord and are loved by the Lord to mourn and to wail and to wring our hands? We do not mourn as those with no hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So let's do this. Let's mourn what is wrong. Let's mourn for those who cannot get justice in this world or in this city. Let's mourn those who are lost, who don't yet know the Lord. Let's mourn for those who are hungry and thirsty and homeless. And let's mourn the things that are not the way they are supposed to be in this world. But then let's move on in Jesus. Mourn and then move out in hope and in action with the gospel of the one who binds up brokenhearted and frees those in whatever prison in which they find themselves and comfort them and ourselves with the joyous good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be joyful. Second charge is this. Step up. Step up in the power of the Spirit. Look at the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. The days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended and Joshua. See, Moses ended and Joshua. No gap there, right? Moses and Joshua. And so immediately, you and I are faced with the reality that no one of us is indispensable. No one of us is irreplaceable. And now I've gone and hurt your feelings, haven't I? So we'll take a minute for our our bruised egos to heal. And when they have, we'll realize that this is actually a really good thing. Because God's work is bigger than any one person. And as long as the Lord tarries, as long as the Lord tarries, there will always be fresh, new opportunities for service to Christ in building His kingdom for those who will step up. Most every other translation, except the ESV, begins verse 9 with the word now instead of the word and. And so it reads, and now, Joshua. And I like what the word now connotes a little better, the immediacy of it. Now is the time. Now, Joshua, now is your time to step up. And you can step up boldly in the power of the Spirit. Numbers 27 tells us already what happened. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And so through Moses, the Lord commissioned Joshua to lead his people, a man in whom or on whom God had placed his Spirit. So listen, forever and ever and ever and ever until the Lord returns, The abundant power of the Spirit of God will empower His people to do everything that God calls us to do. And that is why when God says, now, now, His people can step up without fear. Specifically, this verse tells us that Joshua was was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Listen, wisdom is not a synonym for knowledge. 
They're not the same thing. Wisdom requires knowledge, but wisdom is so much more. Here's what wisdom is. It's taking what we know to be true. Taking all that we know to be true about God and his goodness and grace and greatness and his glory and his love and his compassion, his mercy, his righteousness. We take all that we know to be true about the Lord and we apply it to every situation. That's wisdom. Taking what we know to be true and applying it in every situation. For instance, think for a moment about the first thing that Joshua encounters when he takes over leadership of the people. Now Joshua take them into the promised land. What's the first thing he encounters? A river. The Jordan River. That's at flood stage. It is overflowing its banks. Well, a person full of the spirit of wisdom will remember the past faithfulness of God. He'll remember the past power of God. A sea, not just a river, was in the path of God's people and God parted it. And so with the wisdom of the spirit, Jesus took the people. Come on. He took them right to the edge of the flooded Jordan River and nothing happened. The river was still flowing at flood level. Move on anyway. Keep walking. And so the priests who were leading the way did. And you know the story. As soon as the feet of the priests touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. (laughs) And it piled up in a great heap. And the people crossed over on dry, firm ground. See, it is a man who will step up filled with the spirit and the wisdom of the Lord that can lead in this way. What's the second thing that Joshua encountered once he finally got across the flooded river? Well, he looks, and there are these seemingly impregnable walls of Jericho, right? But Joshua's a wise man. He's wise in the spirit, and so he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? That's a great question, right? Lord, what message do you have? Well, the message that Joshua received was odd for a military man who was skilled in battle and ready to fight. Here was the message. March around the city. One time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around seven times. And then when you've done that, blow the trumpets and just start shouting. Okay. So because Joshua was wise, he obeyed. And what happened? The walls came. See, you know the story. So I could keep asking that same question. What next for Joshua? What next for Joshua? And if I did that, the answer would be the same. Still be uh, instance after instance of of the power of the Lord on behalf of Joshua and his people. But here's a better question, much better question. What next for us, Lord? What next, Lord? What do you have for us? We lit the candle right there, the candle of expectation this morning. What do you expect the Lord might do? See, now is our time to step up. Now, Redeemer, full of the spirit of wisdom. God doesn't leave gaps. So we must be people ready to step up. And my prayer is that this study of the book of Deuteronomy, this book of preparation, has prepared us to step up for the Lord so that we make a difference in this city for Jesus' sake. And I'm eager for us together as a family on mission to seek the wisdom of the Lord and the power of the Lord for what next and the what next after that and the what next after that. We have the spirit of God living within us. 
We have the power of God available to us. We have the wisdom of God available to us. And so I charge you this morning along with me, step up. Step up in the power of the Spirit of the living God. Then we'll make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. The third and final charge is this. Keep your life centered on the Lord. Be joyful. Step up. Keep your life centered on the Lord. Look in verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. If you don't listen carefully, if you don't read this verse carefully, you might conclude that this is a verse written in praise of Moses. But it isn't. Listen again to verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since like Moses whom the Lord knew. Whom the Lord knew. This is a verse written in praise of the Lord. The Lord is the center of this verse. And the author of this verse, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts the emphasis where it should be and must always remain on the Lord. It's the Lord who sought Moses out, not the other way around. And so the most striking memory of the one writing this verse is God's intimate knowledge of Moses. Moses was great only because the Lord knew him. That's it. And everything else in the life of Moses, all that he did, all he accomplished was an overflow of being known by the Lord intimately, face to face. Look in verse 11. The Lord sent him to do the signs and wonders. Please get it. It isn't the inherent goodness or the inherent greatness or the inherent leadership qualities in Moses that made him great. Moses was great simply because the Lord knew him and the Lord sent him. The Lord must always be the center of all things. In writing about Jesus, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm just saying, Scripture will not accommodate our culture's bent to put humans at the center of everything. And Scripture is not going to sacrifice everything before the altar of self-esteem. Scripture only allows for Christ's esteem. As a matter of fact, no matter what our culture says, the best thing for us and for our children 
is to kill off the self-esteem so that Christ's esteem can flourish in us. That's what's biblical. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Spirit of God must never be subordinate to the human spirit. The one we flatter ourselves into thinking is so indomitable. Think of the books you love. Think of the movies that you love that celebrate the human spirit. We're indomitable. Nothing will get us down. I love those books. I love those movies. I read them like you do. It makes you feel good. But just don't do this. Just just don't fall prey to the lie. Our greatness does not lie within us. From our human spirit. Our greatness comes from the spirit of God that he places within us. And so for that he gets the glory. That's why Moses is not the center of attention here. And neither is Joshua after him. God is. Because all the great things they accomplished. is because they were known by and sent by the Lord. How can we praise the human spirit when we read 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that through Him we might live. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so now let's make this connection. And we'll soon be through. Joshua. Yeshua. Jesus. Yeshua. Joshua boldly entered the promised land. Sent by God so that the people might have land. Jesus boldly entered our land, sent by God, so that we might have life. And so I charge you, keep your life centered on Christ. You and I, we must now boldly enter our land. And we must enter it with a Christ-centered focus. In the power of the Spirit, we proclaim the good news that God loved us first. And so he sent Jesus into the world so that through faith in him, we might love God back. God knew us, so we knew him. And that's what makes us great. And that's how we will live well in this land. And so I finish with this. I'm going to say it one more time. Put a little bow on the package of Deuteronomy and then we will set it aside. God has graciously... And in many ways, miraculously, planted us right here at 43 Wentworth Street. And I don't use that word miraculous lightly. A miracle is when God intervenes. A miracle is when God makes things other than they would be if he did not intervene. Water stays water 
until the Lord intervenes, and then it becomes what? Wine. The blind remain blind, and the deaf remain deaf, and the lame are unable to walk until the Lord intervenes, and then the blind see, and the deaf hear, and the lame walk and leap and praise the Lord. And so I started this study, the book of Deuteronomy, over four years ago. Because five years ago, the Lord intervened in our behalf. And this is how all this came to be. And apart from the intervention of the Lord based on our abilities, or more accurately, based on our inabilities, we would not be here in this place on this day. This would be a private residence. The normal course for us, had the Lord not intervened, In that brief 90-day period that we were given to raise money for this place, if the Lord had not intervened, even had we been able to get all of our records together and send them to a bank, the bank would have said, denied, right? We didn't have the ability. We had a bank president sitting in the pews at that time. He said, my bank would never, ever give you the money for this building. But the Lord intervened. And he moved hearts and people gave generously and sacrificially. And you know the rest of the story. The Lord miraculously intervened on our behalf to make sure that we would be in this place. We've received abundantly from the Lord. And so the question becomes for us, how will we give back to the Lord? Lord, why have you done this for us? Why did you intervene? Why do you want us here? How can we live well in this land in which you have planted us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would keep us asking these very questions. And Lord, I pray that you would keep giving us the answers for what's next and the next what's next and the next what's next. Lord, we want to give back to you, the one who has given so much to us. Lord, we want to be good stewards of this opportunity that you have miraculously given to us. We want to know why you want us here. We want to know, Lord, from you how it is that we can live well in this place. Lord, we want to be a blessing to this neighborhood. We want to be a blessing to this city. We want to be a blessing to this world. And the greatest blessing we have to offer, Lord, is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sins forgiven. Life received. That's the message The world needs to hear. So I pray that you will cause us to step up boldly and joyfully to be the ones to proclaim it. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we keep you the center of all things. If we're feeding the poor, keep you the center of that. You're why we do it. If we're giving water to the thirsty, keep you at the center of it. You're why we're doing it. Lord, if we seek to help the homeless and find shelter for them, it's because of you and who you are and what you have done for us. That's why we do it. Lord, may everything we do keep you at the very center. If we pray these things in Jesus' name, 
Amen.